All right, so we look forward to a new series we begin today uh, that'll last all the way up to right almost at Christmas. And by the way, Christmas is right around the corner. At least that's what the Hallmark Channel keeps telling me anyway. So anyway, we have this new series, and all this whole year we have been looking at For His Glory. The theme of the whole year has been For His Glory, and so this will be the last series in the series of series. Uh, that is, uh, this one's Building Families for His Glory. So it's a, it's a series about the family. And so today we're going to look at uh, the, the title of the message, which really is the title of the entire mess of the series, is the Building Families for His Glory. And as we come to the passage of Scripture here, uh, this morning, we're going to see just a bird's eye view of what it is to build families uh, for the glory of God. And then as we move along week by week over the next seven or eight weeks, uh, we'll be looking at a series uh, that, that digs a little bit deeper. Each Sunday, we'll dive in just a little bit deeper of what the family is to look like. Uh, next week, talking to husbands. The week after that, talking to wives. But that doesn't mean that if I'm talking to the husbands, wives can't be here and vice versa, all right? So make sure that you're here for all this. So anyway, we're looking at these today, the fundamental building blocks of the family in order to build families for his glory. Now, as we think about the family, I know the family is important to you, certainly important to me. Uh, we have our grandbabies with us this weekend. That's very important to us. Yesterday, well, last week, this past week on Wednesday through Saturday, uh, Angie and I went up and got to see Hannah up in uh, Cedarville, Ohio, and supposedly she's watching through live uh, the webcam today because uh, it's fall break and uh, all of her rides to church are not available. Uh, so, uh, so she's supposed to be watching us today. I hope she is. Uh, but uh, family is very important to all of us. When we think about family, society around us has its own ideas of family. But what we do as believers is we always look to what does the Bible say? What does God say about what the family really is? And what we find is that we are, and families are, are created for the glory of God. And so we're going to take a real short passage of Scripture here and be reminded that all families are for the glory of God, but recommit ourselves and our families also to live out our lives for God's glory, to see that as our purpose that we are to be living this out, living our lives out as families for one reason, and that is for him to be glorified, not only in us individually, but also as us as families. And so we're going to look at Matthew 19, verses 1 through 6, and in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand as I read that for us this morning. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee, came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, it is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? But he, that's Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray that you would have your way in us, Lord, that you would help us to capture what it is that you're trying to say to us about what it is to be a part of a family. Lord, according to your ideal, I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us and lead us as individuals, but also as families, to know that our purpose is to bring glory and honor to you and to your name. 
So, Father, I pray that you would guide us and direct us with places where we need to confess before you this morning, recommit our hearts and lives to you. Lord, I yield our families to you. Whatever the case may be, Lord, may you use this time, Lord, that you might be exalted, magnified, lifted up, and glorified, and that you would draw us to the place where we need to be in our walk with you. Lord, help us to walk away loving you more and seeking to be more like you. I pray, Father, now that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see the outline in the bulletin today? We're going to follow along. And we're looking at these things that are building blocks for the family as we're building families for his glory. Now understand, as we're seeking to build families, that God is the one who's really doing the building. But we have an aspect, some things that we're supposed to be doing uh, as part of these families. And the first thing that we're going to see here is the building block. The first building block really has two parts. And the first thing we see here, the building block for the family, is the creator created. And the first thing that we see he created is the family. The first thing we see here in this passage that we're going to see is that he created the family. Now, as we said, there are a lot of ideas that are out there in the world today as to what families look like. What we find as we come to this passage is that God has a plan for the family that is called marriage. Now, I realize that as I begin this series, and I begin today specifically, talking about marriage, that some of you who are in this place today are not married. Maybe you were married at one time, but your mate is now with the Lord in heaven. Or maybe you were married and now you are a single again, or you are a single parent. Or maybe you have been single, you are single, and as far as you're concerned, you always plan to be single. That may be you as well today. But whatever the case may be, whether you're married or not, don't tune me out today. Whatever your situation, there are principles in the Word of God always that apply to your life, to your family's life, and to your future family's life. Amen? So let's all stay, hang in there together as we walk through this passage and through this series as well. So let's look at this first building block uh, uh, for the family in verses 3 and 4. We see that the Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, what is it that we're seeing here? But the Pharisees have been trying to trap Jesus in various ways and in their conversations. Here we find it's no different. They're doing the same thing here again. Because Jesus, to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, was a burden to them. Man, they could not stand him because, boy, he was out there. And he was really messing up all their laws and their traditions of things that what they were thinking was the way in which they needed to be and go. They wanted him gone. They wanted him out of the picture and out of the way. And so the question of marriage with Herod got John the Baptist executed. And so maybe they were thinking that if they posed the question about marriage to Jesus, possibly the same thing could happen to him. And so they asked Jesus a question about divorce and who can be divorced. But what Jesus does is he doesn't answer that question directly, but what he does is he raises the conversation above their antics, and he reminds them of what real marriage is supposed to be. He reminds them, beloved, and he reminds us as we read the word, that marriage, first off, is not 
of human origin. Marriage is not of human origin. And so what we see here is that God is the one who has instituted marriage. God created marriage. He ordained it. He authored it. He designed it. And beloved, listen, since he is the creator, since he is the ordainer, since he is the author, and since he is the designer of marriage, he alone gets to set the standard of what marriage is. Y'all with me this morning? So Jesus takes the Pharisees and the people who are listening here, he takes them back to the first chapter of Genesis, and he says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? He's, he said, look, you guys ought to know this, that he created, God created the first family in the garden. Then he saw that Adam was alone, and he said it was not good for him to be alone. Adam needed a mate, so God created Eve from Adam's rib. And so what we see here is that the family ordained by God begins with marriage between a male and a female. Y'all got it? Between a male and female. So he who made and created them at the beginning made them male and female. The family unit of a husband and wife was ordained by God. And so as we think about that, especially in the culture in which we live today, it is no wonder that the devil seeks to destroy the home and the institution of marriage. Because what he wants to do is he wants to undo that beautiful picture of God's grace and God's creation which reveals the love of Christ for his church when a husband loves his wife. Amen? And so the devil didn't want, want us to have anything to do with that. And so what the devil will do is he will use culture to seek to redefine the home and the marriage. But understand something. God is the creator and the designer. So therefore, Satan does not have the right. And culture does not have the right. And your friends do not have the right. And you do not have the right to redefine what it means to be married. Because here's the thing, marriage has already been defined. It's been defined at the very beginning that it is one man and one woman for a lifetime. This is the creation of God. And so as we said, marriage is a depiction of Christ's love for the church. And we're going to see more of that next week in next week's message. But John Piper wrote in his book, This Momentary Marriage, he says this. He says, ultimately, marriage is the display of God. It displays the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his people to the world in a way that no other event or institution does. Marriage, therefore, is not mainly about being in love. It's mainly about telling the truth with our lives. And staying married is not about staying in love, even. It is about keeping covenant and putting the glory of God's covenant, keeping love on display. And so here's the thing, is that your life and that your lives in your marriage are to consistently display Jesus Christ to the world. Your life and the life that you have as a family is to display Jesus to the world. It is to be displayed in the home and outside of the home, this love of Jesus. Marriage is created by God, listen, 
marriage is created by God so that you as a couple will bring glory to God together. Your family was created. Listen, your family was created to bring him glory. He brought you together with your spouse for his glory. He brought you together with your spouse for his glory as a team to magnify and exalt him through your lives and how you raise your children, that they would be raised, that they too would bring glory and honor to his name, that they would get married to someone who is a believer, that they as a team also would bring glory and honor to his name. Y'all with me this morning, you understand? So in the building blocks, what we find here is in the building blocks of the family, we must realize that God created the family. But then also the second part of that is the creator created the family, but he also created you. You believe that? Absolutely. God created you. Look at verse 4. It tells us here that God made them at the beginning, made them male and female. So what we understand about God as the creator is that not only did God create Adam and Eve, but he also formed and created and made you. See, God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, and from them mankind has come forth. But from the book of Psalms, we find that God did not turn Adam and Eve loose and say, okay, I got these two out of the way, I'm done. That's not what he did, right? No, you see, you need to understand that God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but he also created you in your mother's womb. He created you. You see, you are knit together by God in your mother's womb. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. For I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I know that you guys have seen the 3D imaging of babies inside their mama's womb and how you get to see, and you can't wait to find out if this is a little boy, a little girl, and you see these little hands, these little feet. Man, it is awesome to see that stuff, isn't it? A lot of times I can't tell what this is and what that is, but it seems like people tend to know when they look at those things. But here's the thing. God knows it all because he's putting it all together, amen? He's the one who is creating each and every has created each of us and is creating man today. You see, he created you. He's created you with your individual fingerprints, your identification, your bents, your ways, your peculiarities. This is who you are. Now you say, well, why is that really important? Well, it is important as we think about the building blocks of the family. Why? Because if you are thinking about your family, then obviously you are included in that family. And the first building block is to realize that you you have been created by your creator as uniquely you. I mean, you have got to think about this for just a moment. Is that in all the people who have ever lived, and all the people who, who will live, and all the people who are alive right at this very moment... There is absolutely no one else ever who is just like you in the entire world. There never has been and there never will be. You are uniquely you. But we also need to realize something else. That while you are perfectly you, you are not perfect. Oh, I know that's a tough one, isn't it? And while you are formed by him, you are flawed. Why is that? 
It's because of this thing called sin. For we are all sinners. And so what we know then is that your past is not perfect. And your present is not perfect. And until you see Jesus, life will not be perfect. And because of our imperfection, we are separated from perfect God. So that's why God, who loves us, our creator, desires for us to be in a relationship with himself. And so he has provided the way through his son and our savior, Jesus Christ, to fix us of our imperfection. He makes us holy in his sight. Now understand that as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, understand that we, even though we may be saved, we are still not perfect, right? I mean, we're still not perfect, except that now we have been forgiven. But the truth of the matter is, is that, yes, God has created us, but we still struggle. We've been made right through Jesus Christ, but we still sin. But as we are living this life out, as we looked in the book of Philippians, we are constantly being transformed by his Holy Spirit that lives within us. He is shaping us and molding us to be more and more like him as we run this race daily to to love him more and to be more like him. So why is it important to know that this as a building block of having a family for his glory that he has created you. Well, number one, and that we're, that we're not perfect. Well, number one, there's a couple of reasons. One is because as we look at our present, oftentimes we think that we are perfect and that the world must revolve around us. When the truth is, this is going to hurt, we are not, and it doesn't. Amen? But then the second thing that I think is important that, that we need to understand about this imperfection in us is that there are some who look at their past and they will say, I am doomed. I see this ideal of a perfect marriage and I look at my past, and I look at my father and I look at my parents, and I look at my grandparents, and I look at how this has happened in my own life and I am doomed. My family was a wreck, they would say. My mistakes will haunt me. I have shadows in my past that I can never get beyond. And when I look at what my family has been as I was growing up, there is no way that I could ever have a family that is a strong Christian family. To which I would answer with one word, wrong. That's not true. Because here's the thing. Beloved, we are formed by God. We are flawed by sin. But we are fixed by Jesus. Amen? Let me just say that one more time because you need to understand this. We all need to understand this as we think about our lives individually, but also as our families, as we're a part of a family, is that we are formed by God. We have been flawed by sin, but we are fixed by Jesus Christ. So what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. But you see, what we mean by that is that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That he, Jesus, has given us hope and he has given us a new life through the cross of Calvary. He has nailed our sins to the cross. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, I love these two verses here. Where it says this, that he, that's the Lord Jesus, he has delivered us. Watch this now. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Man, don't you just love that? 
That no matter where you are in your past, no matter what has taken place, that when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. It has no power over us anymore. But rather, we have been transferred. We have been conveyed into the kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ, of His love, of who Jesus is. We are now children of God. We Darkness no longer has a power over you. We've been delivered from that. We've been redeemed because of the blood of Jesus, and we've been forgiven of our sins. Man, that is good stuff, amen? Praise the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And you might be saying, but, but Pastor, I, I understand that. And I want to have a perfect marriage but I just don't think I can measure up to having a perfect marriage. Well, I would say this to you. It's been said that Adam and Eve had the world's only perfect marriage. Well, why is that? Well, because she couldn't talk about the man that she might have married, and he couldn't complain, and he couldn't complain that his mother was a better cook. So other than that, my friends, none of us have a perfect marriage. Amen? Why? Because we're not perfect people. And we will not have perfect marriages. Because the truth of the matter is, is that in our marriages, we will make mistakes. Amen? Angie, just be real quiet. Okay, just don't say anything. I know what she's thinking. We've been married over 30 years. I know what she's thinking. We will not always make the best decisions. But here's what I know, is that we have a Redeemer who forgives us. Amen? And, we must, and, and as we have a Redeemer who forgives us, and we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, then we also have the Holy Spirit inside of us who convicts us. And so we must have this desire as a couple to bring glory to Him in our lives and in our family. And this really is the the first real building block of building families for his glory is recognizing that he is the creator who has instituted, ordained, authored, and designed marriage as the family. He's created the family. But also he's created you and performed you and has fixed you through Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need to see here, not only is he the creator created, but the, having a Christ-centered home. Now, as we see in this passage... Marriage, indeed, is a divine institution. Therefore, the couple must recognize the spiritual aspect of the home. There really is a spiritual aspect. It is the main reason why you are together. So the second building block we need to understand is that the couple, the man and wife who know Jesus, must depend totally on the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Him to be the absolute center and the absolute focus of the home. He must be the center of your home. He must be the center of your family. Not just something that you do once a week, but he is to be the center, the focus of your family and of your home. So the question is, how is yours doing? Is Jesus Christ the center of your home? See, marriage must be centered on Jesus to make it last. When Jesus is the center of your marriage and the center of your home, understand that, that he then becomes the solid foundation. And I'm here to tell you that the foundation of Jesus is solid ground. Amen? There is no shakiness or wishy-washiness about Jesus Christ. He is the solid 
foundation, he and his word. As a matter of fact, he's he, preaching to the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24 and following. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But then everyone who hears these sayings of mine does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What are you trying to say, Pastor? What I'm trying to tell you is this. As beloved, as a husband and wife, you need to understand something. That there's going to be time when the rains are going to come. And the floods are going to come. And the wind is going to blow. And it's going to beat on your house. And you need to make sure that your foundation is solid. And the only solid foundation is Jesus Christ. Keeping him central to your home. Not just when the storms come, but all the time. He must be central, and he must be the focus. For the sure building block for the family is that the marriage must be rooted and grounded on that solid foundation of Jesus. It must begin that way as husband and wife, and it must stay that way. Listen, when he's the solid ground, we understand that Jesus Christ is the common bond that we as husband and wives, as, 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 uh, let me use me and Angie as an example. When she and I got married, she's a believer, I'm a believer. And as the believers that have come together as husband and wife, we have a common bond. His name is Jesus, all right? And as, as, as Jesus is the Lord of her life, and Jesus is the Lord of my life, and she has the Holy Spirit living with her, and I have the Holy Spirit living with me, don't you know that if I say something out of turn, she doesn't have to look at me a certain way. She might do it anyway, but she don't have to. Because the Holy Spirit who lives within me will convict me of my sin. The same for her as well. So in all of our lives who are believers, we have the Holy Spirit who will convict us when we're not doing like we're supposed to be doing with our husbands or our wives. Man, it is a solid foundation of Jesus that helps us to make the marriages last long, that make them last forever. Because he will not let you get by with being wrong to your spouse. Now, as you have Jesus at the center of your marriage and you're growing closer to him, you recognize something. Now, here's a diagram I want you to see here. This, I show this, I've shown this for years to the couples. It's kind of, kind of a quirky, but it's, it works, and it's true. When you think about a, a marriage, a marriage is three. It's not two, it's three. It's the husband's wife, and it's Jesus. And if you are bound together by Jesus, look, husbands, if you grow closer to Jesus, you move up that triangle. And wives, if you grow closer to Jesus, you also move up that triangle. But do you notice something else about that? As you grow closer to Jesus, you also grow closer to each other. Amen? That should always be our goal, is that as husbands and wives individually and together, we are seeking to grow closer to him. And the closer we grow to him, the closer we grow to each other as husband and wife. Man, that's good stuff. Amen? So what is having a Christ-central family look like? Well, it means you need to pray together. I don't know if I can do that. Well, do it anyway. I mean, you're talking to Jesus, right? He's your creator. Pray together. Study the word together. Seek his counsel and his will together. I mean, he's central 
He's the focus. You want decisions to funnel through him. You want to do all things for his glory as a team. You All things you ask him, what do we do here? And lead your family. Listen, lead your family into a closer relationship to the Lord. I was reading on social media this week an article that was written about how it's important that we bring our children to church. That if, we, if church, listen, if church is not important to you, it will not be important to your children. So it's so vitally important that our children see in us a desire to come into worship. Not that church is the magic bullet that's going to salvage your family. But I'm here to tell you that if you have a heart for Jesus and you, and you have, love him enough that you can't wait to worship him, that's what salvages marriages right there. That your heart is toward him. And, and so we need to be bringing our kids to church, bringing our families to church together and pointing them toward him in all things. So build families for his glory. It involves keeping Christ central. Ecclesiastes 4.12, you know this, this verse. It says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, but a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, in a marriage, there is a strong third cord. It's not the husband, it's not the wife, it's not the in-law or child, but that third cord is Jesus Christ. Amen? So when he is at the center, at the focus, that's what's needed in every marriage. Simply put, we need Jesus Christ in our lives and in our marriages and in our homes to build families for his glory. Building families for his glory is to recognize that he is the creator and the creator of the family and, the, and your creator. And also he's to be central in your home. But then thirdly, there also must be, real quickly, commitment. There must be commitment. Obviously, as we think about commitment, there must be this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, listen, friends, there must be in your family a commitment to each other. Look at what Jesus says in verses 5 and 6. He said, he said that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God's joined together, let not man separate it. This principle is called the leave and cleave principle. And so the leaving part means that we, the, the word leave means to abandon. It's a very strong word, to abandon, to forsake, to leave behind your parents, and now your mate becomes your priority. Your spouse becomes your priority. That means that as you, gather, as you come together as husband and wife, that no longer should you be hearing within your household, well, you know, mama never did it that way. And you shouldn't also say, you know, but daddy always did it this way. No, we're leaving mama and daddy back there. Amen? We are now leaving them, and we're coming together. So you see, the leaving, understand that the leaving is when the husband and wife make a public covenant of ultimate loyalty and lifelong devotion to each other above everyone and everything else, second only to the Lord, even above the parents. This public covenant that you make as a husband and wife takes place at the wedding. When you, when you exchange vows at the, at the wedding time, the vow, listen, the vows are not just cute words to say to each other so that you can go on the honeymoon. Y'all with me? When you are making these vows, listen, you are making a covenant between yourself, your spouse, and the Lord. You're making a covenant with God that you're going to stick together. Come the storms, come the winds, come the rain, come the floods. We're going to be together by your grace and for your glory, O oh God. You see, this moment when you make this covenant, these vows together, it is a sacred, a solemn moment where God is the witness as you're making this covenant 
to Him. Y'all with me this morning? I mean, this is important that we understand that this is a commitment that we make. And so we leave all else behind except the Lord in order to join or cleave to our husband or wife. The word joined to here that Jesus uses means cleaving together. It means to be glued together, to be cemented together. It's a lifelong commitment of tender love and faithful responsibility, which is permanent and it is binding. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. The two become one flesh, and it shows the permanence of this marital union. There must be the committed love rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I love James Dobson. Some of you may not have heard of Dr. James Dobson. He was a psychologist uh, back in the day, Christian psychologist, one of the best, I think, that's ever been. And uh, he wrote a book called Love for a Lifetime. I don't even know if it's in print anymore, but it is a powerful book. And he said this as he talked about this idea of committed love between a husband and wife. Listen to what he says. He said, I heard the late Dr. Francis Schaeffer speak to this issue about 10 years ago. He described the bridges that were built in Europe by the Romans in the 1st and 2nd centuries A.D. He says they're still standing today despite the unreinforced brick and the mortar which they, uh, with which they were made. So why haven't they collapsed in this modern era of heavy trucks and equipment? Well, they remain intact because they're used for nothing but foot traffic. But if an 18-wheeled semi-truck were driven across these historic structures, well, then they would crumble in a great cloud of dust and debris. Dr. Dobson says marriages that lack an iron-willed determination to hang together at all costs are like the fragile Roman bridges. They appear to be secure and may indeed remain upright until they are put under heavy pressure. He says that's when the seams split and the foundation crumbles. It appears to me that the majority of young couples today, he says, are in that incredibly vulnerable position. Their relationships are constructed of unreinforced mud, which will not withstand the weighty trials that are lying ahead. The determination to survive together is simply not there in too many couples today. He says, listen. There are times in every good marriage when a husband and wife don't like each other very much. You do not have to say amen. There are occasions, he says, when they feel as though they will never love their partners again. But he says emotions are like that. They flatten out occasionally like an automobile tire with a nail in the tread. And riding on the rim is a pretty bumpy experience for everyone on board. He says, the following classified ad which appeared in the Rocky Mount News proves my point. The ad goes like this. We'll trade. We'll trade my non-cooking and non-shopping wife with an attitude problem for one Super Bowl ticket. No Indian givers. Call Jim at 762-1000 and hurry, it says. That was a real ad. But he says, the last time we checked, the couple had resolved their little misunderstanding and were still happily married. But this antidote, he says, contains a message for newly married couples, and that is this. Don't count on having an undisturbed relationship. There will be times of conflict and there will be times of disagreement. There will be periods of emotional blandness when you can generate nothing but a yawn for one another. But that is life, so they say. So he asked this question, what will you do then when unexpected tornadoes blow through your home or when the doldrums leave your sails sagging and silent? 
Will you pack it in and go home to mama? Will you pout and cry and seek ways to strike back? Or will your commitment hold you steady? These questions must be addressed now, before Satan has an opportunity to put his noose of discouragement around your neck. And so he says, what you need to do is set your jaw and clench your fist and say that nothing, listen, nothing short of death must ever be permitted to come between the two of you. Nothing. And make sure your commitment is sure and strong based upon Jesus Christ. So, beloved, listen, realize that you're both imperfect people but that your commitment toward each other is based upon the knowledge that your creator has placed the two of you together to build a family for his glory. So you stick to it, and you stick to him, and you stick to each other. Amen? You stick to the commitment, you stick to Jesus, and you stick to each other. These are some of the most important building blocks of a family. To realize that the creator created you, he created your family, he created your spouse. The family must remain on solid ground with Christ being the center, with him being the focus. And then your heart and life must be committed. Committed to the Lord first and foremost, but then committed to your spouse. Till death do us part. Amen? Till death do us part. So two things to do. Number one. As we think about this, building families for his glory, number one is to be committed to Jesus. Be committed to Jesus. Understand that he is the one who transforms hearts and lives. And beloved, I also know that he also transforms families. Amen? Well, I'm telling you, he has done some amazing, miraculous things in the lives of people because of who he is and what he's done. He transforms. He breaks the chains of a terrible past. And he gives hope. We find in the book of Joel that he is the one who restores what the locust has eaten. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with another person. I don't know where you are with your spouse. I don't know if you're divorced. I don't know if you're widowed. I have no idea right now as I'm just just thinking about this passage of Scripture. But what I do know is this, is that our God is gracious. So you you might be here today and you say, well, you don't know what I've been through, Pastor. And I understand that this is God's ideal. But that's just not how it's happened in my life. I'm here to tell you that God is faithful to walk with you through whatever valley you're facing. I can tell you from my own personal experience and what I know from the word of God is that God is able to take those things which are difficult and bad in our lives and bring good from them. I know in my own life when my dad left my mother when I was six years old, And my mama raised me by herself, me and my two sisters by herself, that she raised us up to love Jesus. That she she took us to church. She made sure that we were there. And and to show you how gracious God is, he put men in my pathway. And he had grandparents who loved Jesus who were in my pathway, who constantly were living out what it was to be a follower of Jesus in front of me. So while I may not have had my dad right there with me, I had a father in heaven who loved me more than my dad did. Amen? So I'm here to tell you that whatever it is that you're facing, that you need to understand that no things may not be perfect, but like we said, we're all imperfect. But Jesus fixes things. And Jesus fixes people. Amen?
be committed to him. He will walk you through and he will bring good even the difficult times of life. So be committed to Jesus. And if you're married, secondly, be committed to your spouse. Follow the leave and the cleave principle. Leave the shadows, leave the past, leave the parents behind, and you cleave to your wife or your husband. Run the race of following Jesus together and be a team. Wait a minute. Don't put your book away yet. Hang on. (laughs) Be the team that God has put together for his glory. Amen? Be that team. God's put you together. Be that team that works for his glory together. There's a reason that you're together with that spouse. We'll talk about that maybe next week, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you have your way in our hearts and lives. Lord, may you guide us and direct us to be the people of God. Thank you, Lord, for loving us in spite of all of our imperfections, for fixing us when we're so full of flaws. Lord, we're so prideful. We think we're all perfect, but we know that as we look at you, that you're the picture of perfection but that you sent your Son and our Savior to fix us and to make us right in your sight and to give us hope. And Lord, as we keep that in our minds, may we seek to be more and more like you day by day. And all over this congregation, Lord, may you help us to make decisions of commitment to follow you, to be honest that we're not perfect, but we need you to transform us and change us and help us day in and day out to be the men and women of God you've called us to be, but also to be the husbands, the wives, the grandparents, the children, the brothers and sisters, whatever that looks like in our life, to be those kinds of people that as people see our family, that they would see Jesus. May you be glorified in us. May from this point forward, we make commitments of following you, whatever that looks like. Lord, to give you all of our mess and say, Lord, help us. God, I pray that you'd work in every heart and life of here today. If there are those who've never trusted you by faith, that this would be that time of salvation. For those of us, Father, who do know you, may this be a time of just rekindling our love for you more and seeking to be all that you want us to be and making that commitment, maybe praying for our family, praying for our children, praying for our spouse, praying, Lord, for maybe our grandchildren or our parents or our grandparents praying for those who are lost in our families. But Lord, may you have your way in us. When people see us and when they see our family, that they would see you. May it be clear. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.